all you want, Freddy. You're not gonna find anything. I took care of it. That lady cop from the bomb squad got you the stuff to do this with, didn't you? You didn't know Monica was gonna be here, did you, Fix? No. Monica said she was going over to her friend's house to watch some pay-per-view. Thing was on a timer. I didn't know she was gonna be here, Freddy. It's all bullshit. You figs are the bullshit! Smart and fucking up! You even turned your back on Tony when he needed your help! Figs! I'm gonna find Superboy and I'm gonna bring him in! And for once, everybody in this town's gonna tell the truth! You gotta find him first, Freddy! I'll find him! Listen to me. I got a check in my pocket for $200,000. I got a chance to start my life again. I don't give a shit about this town, I don't give a shit about that town, and I don't give a shit about your fucking justice! Being right is not a bulletproof vest, Freddy! Go on, Fixie, get the hell out of here! Go on! Go on, Fixie! Go on! Run away! God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 309, Copland. Much like James Mangold, we too are following up heavy with Copland. That's right. If you actually listened all the way until the end of the episode for heavy, I said that we would be doing another James Mangold picture. And the reason is, this was already on the schedule when Rob requested Heavy, and I was like, you know what, let's just do them back-to-back. Oh, yeah. Something we've never done before. Because it's a director, we had done none of his movies, so might as well just jump right in. Right. Copland is one that I've been wanting to do for a while, which seems to be the theme Mm -hmm. of 2023. All right, what has been on the schedule for years? Crossing them off, just banging them out, one after the other. Sort of a crazy leap going from Heavy to Copland because Heavy feels so small and independent. And even though the budget's not crazy for this, it feels like a big movie. Because of the cast, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was wondering how that even happened, and frankly, I still don't know. know. Because it really wasn't in any of the the research. I guess it was probably just because people liked the script, and he got buzz as being a new guy on the scene. Yeah. And it all worked out. He got hooked up with... Miramax and the Weinsteins at that point had tons of influence and power and it just all came together with this cast. But before we get into Copland, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. That's where you can reach us in regards to listener requests, which everyone has been jumping into as of late. So if you've been waiting to pay us money, 
<laughs> for a listener request and thinking, I don't want to be the first. Now, there's a bit of a line. Yikes. A virtual line. All of a sudden, people have really been beating our doors down this week. So there's a little bit of a queue. Uh-huh. It's like getting tickets to the French Open. I will say this. June is off the schedule because that is going to be the return of one trashy summer. Just oh. like October will later be off the schedule for Greatest October. So if you would like us to do a listener request and you would want us to get to it some point before July, you're running out of time actually already. I would hurry up because more than one comes in. We're talking about July at that point, probably, just to be honest with you. I know most of our listeners are super cool. No, They're not like, you need to do this immediately or anything like that. <laughs> I want my full refund. But I'm just being realistic, and I know uh-huh. now that money's in play that people might get a little bit panicked if months and months and months are going by or These something. These guys are always talking about the show ending. <laughs> well, the show is not ending, but... Heads up. And feel free, please, to use the tip jar on Twitter for other donations beyond just listener requests. We accept any amount, frankly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And you can reach us via email, greatestpod at gmail.com, where a whole new world has been unlocked, evidently, of ass clowns out there excited to converse with us. I I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Now I feel bad that it took so long. Those inbox notifications just lighting up. Well, all over the country, ass clowns coming together, excited to let us know how great we are. So we will read (laughs) the emails on the show. There will be another one read today. It goes and goes and goes. So if you've been waiting to get a hold of us because you're not on Twitter, which evidently a lot of our listeners are not, greatestpod at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. That's where we can work out the details of... Listener requests, sticker requests, anything else. If you would like a free sticker, just let us know on Twitter or via email. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby, although I have not really been logging anything Uh, lately. Yeah. It's been tough to watch movies not for the show. I know. That's all my time is dedicated to this show now. It's nuts. We did make it to the theater, which, you know, we'll talk about later. But even that is a great epic to just get to the theater it did sort of revitalize me though maybe we'll talk about that off mic but i feel like i I could start doing that again i enjoy it when we do it it just feels like a time suck (laughs) it is for sure that time that could be spent just laying on the couch well how do you think i feel i saw two movies back to back yeah (laughs) that's the only way i'll go now it has to be worth my time (laughs) anyway I'm probably leaving out other stuff. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review on there. Whatever you got to do. But now I feel good. I feel like we have two modes of communication. Two main ones. Uh-huh. Twitter, at GreatestPod, and email, GreatestPod at gmail.com. A permanent connection to yes. the Ass Clowns. It, it was too long. We used to have an email... Never for, used. For those of you who have explored the depths of our archives, we may have mentioned it a couple of times early on. Never checked. I have no idea even what it was or how to get to it. <laughs> no communication ever received. If people emailed to it, I apologize. Yeah. God only knows. Anyway, let's get into Copland, 1997, written and directed by James Mangold. First of all, 1997, super underrated movie year. It's not one of those ones that people mention all the time. It doesn't have the same reputation as 99 or whatever. 
But Jackie Brown, Boogie Nights, Donnie Brasco, L.A. Confidential, Gross Point Blank, Goodwill Hunting, The Game, Event Horizon, I Know What You Did Last Summer, oh. Titanic, One Best Picture, Copland, right up there among them. I think Copland is super underrated. Definitely. My overall summary would be that plot-wise, story-wise, maybe it's a B, B-, minus, but it's got an A-plus cast, A-plus script in terms of the dialogue, yeah, and unbelievable scenes with great right. combinations of people interacting with each other. Just a few memorable moments that are completely off the charts. Yeah, and it makes up for the fact that there are some things that don't fully make sense. Yeah. I do think they try to explain everything, but the explanations are kind of flimsy. Right. Where you're kind of like, okay. I do appreciate the sequence, but the fact that it all sort of builds to a roadhouse-style confrontation at a house. (laughs) It's a modern urban western disguised as a crime story or an organized crime story or something like that. It's basically high noon. Right. Where you have your lone guy at the end... One of his deputies is like, fuck it, I'm not doing this. And she just bails. Uh-huh. And the other one he tells to go, go home. home because yeah. he thinks it's going to be bad. And he goes it alone, and then at the last minute he gets the backup and everything. But yeah, it's it's a shootout at the OK Corral. Yeah. It's a western at the end. The budget for Copland was $15 million. The box office was a respectable but somewhat disappointing $63.7 million. The reason I say that is this movie had a ton of buzz and hype leading into it. It got a lot of coverage because of the cast, which is insane. I know. I was t- telling you that when I looked at the budget, I was like, this is nuts. $15 million with all these stars in it. It seems like De Niro's probably made $15 million to be in. Yeah, movies. everybody worked for scale to make the movie work budget-wise. I guess a lot of people believed in this script. That's the only explanation I can think of. But because Stallone is in it, and he was a huge star, and then you have the acting powerhouses of De Niro and Keitel and Leota and a bunch of other people, it got a lot of play mm-hmm. in the entertainment press leading into it. It's one of those movies that nowadays you would feel like you heard about on Twitter for three years, and then it just comes and goes. One of those yeah, things. Right. Which now happens all the time, and yeah. people are kind of immune to it, but... Back then, it was a disappointment, especially for Stallone, who was still on a pretty decent run as far as box office goes. I think most people associate him with Rocky and Rambo, but movies like Cliffhanger and whatever, they were successful. They made a lot of money. The action star had more of a place at that time. For sure. For a long time, it was him and Schwarzenegger back and forth as to who was the biggest. And he decides to return to regular acting i guess you would say maybe for the first time really since rocky yeah you look back at his career i wouldn't say there's a ton of like deep acting roles but for whatever reason it didn't work out as well as he thought and i think to this day he still considers it a disappointment and he regrets doing it even though he did not have a bad experience and and called james mangold the best director he ever worked for But he was looking at a career revitalization that didn't happen at the time and really wouldn't come until he got nominated for Creed. Yeah. It's not a performance that people get excited about, though, because it's just a very tired, beaten down guy. And it had me going back to our Jackie Brown episode a little bit because I thought 
wasn't he in the running for Lewis or Tarantino thought of him for which is weird because De Niro right is in it and there's like a weird connection to this movie too yeah. at the end but you kind of get that from this role too it's just sort of this tired beat down dude for those of you who have not seen the movie or would like to rewatch it it is now streaming for free on HBO Max and that is the version we are going to be primarily using there is a director's cut, which we will talk about very briefly right before we get into the plot, which is the standard version for DVD and Blu-ray in America. So it's weird. There's almost an equal representation of the two cuts of this film because the one that is typically streaming for free is the theatrical cut, but as far as the home video market goes, the director's cut has had a huge domination over it. That's the regular version you get in America now. Uh-huh. There's not a ton of differences between the two, but it is interesting because a lot of times, in my opinion at least, with the multi-cuts of films, one of them becomes the one across all formats. But this one sort of has equal footing for both. Uh-huh. As I said, it's a modern urban western, a big grand vision, I think, with a lot of ideas, a lot of rich characters and i think it's probably better suited for a three hour plus epic film or even a mini series because i think there's enough meat on the bone with a lot of the characters to get deeper into it yeah definitely. you could do a lot of flashback stuff with tunny i'd love to see that you could even do flashback stuff with how the town was founded like how this all came to yeah. be I think there's a lot of deep stuff in there, and the fact that... I'm interested in the, like, Figs history. Well, yeah, it seems like he was on board and then started having second thoughts and then went down a spiral, and there's there's a lot there. And the fact that you cut this down to for the theatrical version to be an hour and 45 minutes seems nuts, because there's just so much there. I know. Stallone plays Freddie Heflin, the, the main character. He gained 40 pounds for the part. A guy who is carrying the passage of time a lot of missed opportunities and unrealized potential oof he's still carrying the torch for a girl that he saved from drowning who married someone else and he has to see every day but there is also a quiet dignity in his sadness and he wears his sadness on his face well which is what Stallone really brings to the character is that hangdog, uh-huh. sad-eyed face. Right. Mangold has said that he originally envisioned an unknown in the role so that the heroic transition would feel less Hollywood. And I get what he means. Yeah. I don't think it does feel very Hollywood. Stallone is so good in the role, and ultimately I think the audience's familiarity with him works in the film's favor. I think... Mangold was kind of alluding to the fact that this movie was insanely overhyped and maybe hurt the film a little bit when it was actually released. Yeah. I think that's where he's coming from. I guess but Stallone being that guy, I think, is what makes the movie work in a way. Yeah, and I don't think it comes into question at all, but I guess where you'd be nervous is you'd constantly feel like the audience is going to think, why is Stallone getting pushed around by these fucking idiots? You know what I mean? But... I'm buying it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a little bit of a a gentle giant vibe. Yeah. Which I think we'll talk about a little bit more when we, we mention some of the other people who may have gotten cast as Freddy 
and how it would have differed depending on the different actors. But with Stallone, he needed to be a little bit heavier, uh-huh. a little bit slower, so that he's not coming off as Rambo. Right. Because, yeah, you picture First Blood-style yeah. Stallone, and he's not taking shit from old man Harvey Keitel. No, or Robert Patrick. <laughs> He'd be just throwing their heads through walls. I think the thing that you have to understand about Copland, especially for those of you who have maybe only seen it once, and either think, like, oh, yeah, it was okay, or you didn't really like it, or you thought it was good but never went back to it, I think that it works more the more times you watch it. It, it gets oh, better. I agree. Because, first of all, there's a lot of convoluted shit going on that yeah. is sort of hard to pick out the first time you watch it. The little details, like I said, there's a lot of meat on the bones with all of the characters, and there's a lot of yeah. soap opera drama bullshit going on in the small town outside of the larger organized crime thing or the overall plot of the movie. Yeah, the plot can be pretty disappointing, actually. I think you said B B minus, but when you look at some of the details of the plot, even No, I think I don't know if disappointing might be like a little harsh. Okay. It's just not as tight as it yeah. seems like it could be. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. You kind of expect it to be stronger. And then when you actually like analyze the choices people are making, you're like, Okay, why would they do this? Nothing again? seems thought out. There's the Harvey Keitel monologue about the plans and the matchbook and you're making the plans of a boy right and i'm making the plans of a man and it's like are you though <laughs> well part of it it's two things yeah. part of it is they have lived with impunity forever yes and they feel like they can do whatever they want right. that's like almost the whole thing beyond the details beyond what yes, ends yes. up coming out later about drug trafficking and the mob banks and all of the organized crime bullshit is They literally do whatever they want. They drunk drive. They beat their wives. Whatever they want. Yeah. There is no repercussions in this town, essentially, for these people, which is why it's so dangerous, because on the surface, they are representing all that is good, but then underneath the surface, they are corrupt. That's number one. So some of their rash decision-making just comes from the fact that they have always gotten away with whatever they want to do. Second is, it's a house of cards. Yes. And so everything feels dangerous whenever there's even a, a little bit of a threat. And they tend to overreact and knee-jerk react to everything. That's right. Like, so the decision-making on the down. bridge at the beginning is oh, yeah. way out of control because everything comes back to this town that Ray Donlin has built. And is there a threat? Is there going to be a threat? Is there a potential of a threat? Will somebody talk and say something? Yeah. Although it does sort of contradict the way they act later, where they seem to be letting people in on things all the time that they might talk. I don't know. I, I know. What's the big panic about? Just so you can't drive drunk from the four aces anymore? Later, it's explained that they're deeply corrupt. They're yes. trafficking drugs right. out of the precinct to pay back the mob that has like, done all this different shit to get them these deals. They're involved with the mob bank. It's a little bit complicated, though, to figure all of that out the first time you watch it. Ultimately, you probably benefit from watching the theatrical cut once and then watching the director's cut once, and then you get a little bit more. There's like 11 minutes more. Right. The ensemble cast for Copland is absurd. In addition to Stallone, you've got Harvey Keitel as Ray Donlin, Ray Liotta as Gary Figgis, Figsy. Yep. An unbelievable performance, not too dissimilar from Henry Hill. Yeah, but even more unleashed 
He steals the movie. It's a yeah. movie full of incredible Hall of Fame actors, and Leota is awesome in Definitely. it. Definitely. Robert De Niro as Mo Tilden, plus Peter Berg, Janine Garofalo, Robert Patrick, Michael Rapaport, Annabelle Sciorra, Noah Emmerich, Kathy Moriarty, Frank Vincent, Edie Falco, Paul Calderon. The list Insane. goes on and on. Almost everyone that was ever in Sopranos featured... A lot of crossover with The Sopranos, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, but especially yeah. The Sopranos. There's like maybe double digits of people I, I from The Sopranos in this. I put this on, seen it multiple times, know everybody that's in it, but the opening's rolling and voiceover of Robert De Niro comes in and I'm like, oh yeah, he's in this too. As we said, everyone worked for scale to keep the budget where it needed to be. Now, the connection with Heavy is that Debbie Harry That's right. appears in the film, kind of, as Dolores. No indication whether or not it's the same Dolores. I think it's just supposed to be a little Easter a egg little for wink. people who knew Heavy. I like to think it is the same Dolores. So. Yeah, she just left town when... Yeah. It's not that far. Shelley Winters died. <laughs> it's like, all right. a new gig. In the theatrical cut, she's only in the background and has no lines. Yeah, the cut I watched. In the director's cut, she does speak very briefly at the beginning of the film in the opening sequence, but that's it. And uh-huh. then she's a little bit more on camera, I think, than in the theatrical cut later, but she doesn't talk. I do believe she did film scenes and had a character, but is mostly cut out of the film altogether. But she still got paid. Yeah, good for her. Which is how it works. The town of Garrison, which is the setting of the film, is based on Mangold's hometown of Washingtonville, New York, located about 60 miles from New York City. Mangold grew up in a development called Worley Heights, where many of the residents were current and former NYPD officers. The principal shooting location for the film was Edgewater, New Jersey, because Garrison is fictional. I don't think there's really anything else left to say about the director's cut other than it just provides longer scenes a couple of times a little bit more dialogue a few of the scenes are in a different order which changes the perspective of the ending of the film how it's set up a little bit but it's not too major it's about 11 minutes different overall they're about equal okay there's probably a little bit more to gain from the director's cut but it's not anything super crucial yeah i'm not sure if i've seen the director's cut or not the first time i ever saw this was on tv of course started at like halfway through where i came in and it was the most jarring thing to me ever that there was someone that they all kept referring to as superboy yeah well for the purposes of this movie i'm going to just refer to that character as superboy the entire time great because murray or babbage isn't as fun no Back in the 70s, every cop wanted out of the city. But the only cops allowed to live outside New York were transit cops, because the transit authority was also run by Jersey and Connecticut. So these guys I knew at the 3-7, they started pulling overtime at subway stations and got the city to declare them auxiliary transit cops. They bought some land in Jersey, got some cheap loans from people they knew. They made themselves a place where the shit couldn't touch them. 
That's what they thought anyway. Every precinct has its cop bar, a private club, all blue, no civilians. For the 3-7, there was the four aces just across the river. As you said, it opens with narration from Robert De Niro, who plays Mo Tilden, the IA officer, who doesn't really come into the picture until, I don't know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes yeah. into it. The narration is completely unnecessary. It feels like a studio note. Let's get De Niro's voice on here because he's not a POV character. I know. And it's sort of lame delivery, to be honest. <laughs> it, yeah, it's almost like Harrison Ford right. and the original in. Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, oh, why am I doing this? And then he comes in at the end, too, yeah. for a little bit more narration, which I'm not 100% sure that's in the director's cut, the second narration, but I can't remember. I used the clip here because it helps set up the story, but everything he says becomes apparent over the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. You right. kind of get this. You don't need him to say Unnecessary. it. Unnecessary. So let's set the scene a little bit. The fictional town of Garrison, New Jersey, is home to a shitload of policemen from the NYPD's 37th Precinct. You have Lieutenant Ray Donlin, Keitel, Detective Leo Kraske, John Spencer, and officers Gary Figgis, who we're going to refer to as Figsy, yep. Ray Liotta. You have Jack Rucker, Robert Patrick. They call him Jackie sometimes. I'm going to call him Rucker. Frank Lagunda played by another guy from The Sopranos, yep. Arthur J. Nascarella, and Joey Randone, played by Peter Berg, exploiting a loophole in department regulations allowing them to live outside the city by being designated auxiliary transit cops, Donlin and his buddies are basically above the law. For someone like me, who is a layman, who doesn't understand all of this stuff, this is a big hurdle to overcome, but I just kind of accept it. Sure. I don't really know why they're above the law, I get that IA has only jurisdiction, I guess, in New York, like a normal NYPD cop, but you would think that an IA officer would be able to just investigate a cop wherever they are. Uh, that, that's true, yeah. I don't know. But I'm okay with it. Call me crazy. Yeah, you kind of have to just accept some of this stuff. It doesn't really matter. You either do or you don't. One thing we've learned over our journey of the greatest moments in the history of forever is that people appreciate different things in films, and there's different things to appreciate in films, if that makes any sense. And for younger people, I do think that there is an emphasis on plot only. And like Ooh. I said, this is like a B-minus plot. It, it doesn't really make sense if you hold it up to scrutiny, but the movie's still awesome for a variety yeah. of reasons and highly entertaining. If there was just a short film of this Freddy character putting on a Springsteen record and laying on his couch listening to it, I would be like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And then some chick comes over yeah. and says, why didn't you ever get married? And he says, because all the, all the best girls were taken. I mean, that's a movie right there. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's a town on their own terms, and NYPD's internal affairs division can't get to them despite the fact that they all flout the law in a variety of ways. Like I said, at first it just seems like a town where cops get to be assholes and bend the law yeah but then you find out that it's a lot darker and right. there's a reason why ia is up their ass all i the mean time. there's a lot of commentary about the harsh reality of being a police officer in new york city and this is sort of a life away from that that's sort of the guise of it yeah a little bit they are further insulated by sheriff freddie heflin played by stallone 
Unable to fulfill his own lifelong dream of joining the NYPD due to being deaf in one ear as a result of nearly drowning while rescuing a woman years prior. Yeah, he has the it's a wonderful life issue. Heflin not only falls in line in Garrison, he also idolizes Donlin. Donlin's like king shit of fuck city over there. That's right. They're very smart about it, too. It's a very specific kind of gangster kind of organized crime shit where you live a very comfortable life but never flashy you never look rich you have above ground pools as freddie says later Uh you don't wear silk shirts it's very calculated right everyone seems to be living a fairly modest life but they have nothing to worry about they all have money they're just chill and cool about it right because they're they're cops. They know what gets people caught. Yes. <laughs> it's sort of like Robert Prosky in Thief, except he's a straight up gangster, he's not a cop. You know right. what I mean? Like that middle-aged, normal-looking guy, nothing flashy, lives in suburbia, but behind the scenes, like under the surface, I know. It's rotten. You do have to wonder though, is getting involved in all this drug trafficking and being tied in with the mob worth it if you're not even like Really spending the money? Well, they're spending it smart. Sure. A new Cadillac. Here and there. Vacation. Yeah. It's never enough to... Draw attention. Yeah, and it's more about creating a place where they don't have to answer to anyone. Right. They That's run part of it, too. Freddie also resists any and all overtures made by Lieutenant Mo Tilden, played by Robert De Niro from IA in his quest to build a case against the dirty cops. This is something that we'll more or less build later after the incident on the bridge. But the film opens with Figsy at the bar in town in Garrison. The Four Aces, which is a cop bar. It's a cop town, a cop bar. We'll get more into what all that means later with some of the stuff that didn't quite make it into the film. But Figsy's meeting with a woman named Berta, played by Edie Falco. That's right. Who happens to be on the bomb squad. She's telling this bizarre story about a goat's head. But the thing that you take away is a couple of things. First of all, later in the film, we will find out what this meeting is. Uh huh. But you notice that it's done right in front of Freddy. Freddy's always there. He's always watching. And I thought it was funny that he's playing a pinball machine for Lethal Weapon 3 or something like that. Oh, yeah. And when he loses and then it's like the screen is flashing and saying things, I think it's saying something... To the effect of, you have no authority. You have no authority. Like, put a quarter in, put <laughs> yeah. a quarter in. But this, that fact that it's saying you have no authority, wow, right. this is all happening right in front of him. And in the director's cut, she actually confronts him for, like, yeah. looking at them too much. But Figsy's like, it's Freddy. He's cool. Like, yeah. relax. Well, that's the thing. You don't find out what is in the bag until later. But it is obvious that it's something that's not all in the up and up. Right, and he's acting weird about it, and then his girlfriend, Monica, is coming over, and he's kind of like moving the bag around, and you're thinking, okay. Uh But yes, in Garrison, there's a lot of drunk driving. It's a small town in the shadow of the New York City skyline. New York City's right across the river. Yeah, even Freddie getting into the drunk driving. Yeah, it was something much more common, I guess, 30 years ago, Yeah, which is weird to think that there was a time where People knew it was wrong. It was obviously illegal, super dangerous, but yep. yet way more common. And probably 10 years before 97, it was even way more common than that. Yeah. 
seems to be a big part of why these guys want to live this life, just to be able to do this with impunity. <laughs> no, that wasn't because people were doing that everywhere. Right. <laughs> that was New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And Long Island, right. I would imagine. Actually, that's the thing. They may have made it New Jersey because you get that direct bridge right into Manhattan easier. Yeah. It's actually like probably closer in a way than Long Island, but I would imagine that these places do exist in Long Island because as we'll be told at the end of the film, this is fictional. There are no police in the NYPD that can live outside of the five boroughs. Like that is just not allowed. Right. Although that was news to me. I would have thought that there were towns that existed like this, not with the crime element, but just that. Well, they, I, that's what my whole yeah. point is. I think that they do. Right. But they're in Long Island. They're yeah, yeah. not actually in New Jersey because it's a different state. Right. Okay. But I don't know. That's just a guess. Yep. Over in the city, there's a bachelor party going on. It's well attended by the boys in blue from Garrison. Donlan's nephew, Officer Murray Babich, a.k.a. Superboy, played by Michael Rappaport, leaves the party to head home. People just throwing up in the parking lot. He is referred to as Superboy because he has a reputation as a police officer because there was something in the past where he saved three babies. From a fire or something uh-huh. like that. And then he got a nickname in the paper and it became a thing. So we're going to refer to him as Superboy. But yeah, he hears Rucker and somebody else. They're like puking in the parking lot and he pulls his gun out. It's so weird that his reaction is to take a flashlight and his gun. It's not as if he heard a woman scream or something. It's not. Why is I he know. doing this? Well, I think that helps build towards some of his decision making coming up. Is he sort of unnecessarily on high alert. Yeah, I think that it's possible we're supposed to take it that he's coasted on one thing that happened to him as a police officer, but he's actually not a great cop. A doofus. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. So he pulls his gun when he goes and finds Rooker puking in the parking lot. Then he sets it on the passenger's side seat of his car, and then as he's pulling the car out of the parking lot, he runs over a glass bottle, which potentially is straining the integrity of his tire. So those are two things that are planted here. The gun out, tire is fucked up now because he ran over a bottle. Yeah. Now, before we go any further, we should point out that this bachelor party was at Scores. That's right. Which no longer exists. If you saw the movie Hustlers, you probably understand why. (laughs) But for those of us who were big and stern at any point in the 90s or into the early 2000s before Scores disappeared, this was like... The spot. The spot, apparently. Yeah. For the, It was the big strip club in Scores. I assume that's the real Scores. I don't know why it wouldn't be. I don't know. So that's I guess, is what it looks like. I don't know. I never saw it before, the real one. It just seems like a place that I wouldn't be allowed. They'd be like, you're not cool enough to be here. <laughs> I don't know. You probably had to be... I don't know. Do you think you had to be 18 or 21 to get in? I think 21 because of the booze. Probably, Yeah. Although I believe in New York, you couldn't be full nude with booze, right? That's true, yeah. Sort of a bummer. Yeah, well. (laughs) I say that, and then the listeners probably think I'm like some giant creep pig. I went to a strip club in my life one time, (laughs) did not have fun. Well, it was kind of fun in like an ironic, like, oh, God. It's always more funny than... yeah. Funny just now, this was a fully nude club I was in, by the way. Funny, but <laughs> Funny just because like complete nerd losers are out of their element in places like yeah. this. I'm not a strip club guy at all, but I just wanted to call out scores. Iconic in its own way. 
While heading onto the George Washington Bridge, Superboy is sideswiped by two young African-American men who then continue onward without stopping. Is sort of egregious. I think the implication is it's a stolen car. Yeah, yeah. Because why would they not care about that car? Right. Because their car's fucked up, too. I know. Superboy pursues, showing his badge out the window, but the men continue driving as the one in the passenger side seat points what looks like a gun at Superboy, causing him to hit the brakes suddenly, which then leads to a tire blowout from that previous glass puncture. Uh huh. Assuming he's being shot at, Superboy grabs his gun, opens fire, killing them both, and then crashes into their car on the bridge. Just terrible. Just bad decisions here. First of all, it seems very unlikely that he would have been able to hit them, as the one guy says later, six times. I know. With a handgun from that distance. When I first see this, I know he shoots out the back window, but my first instinct is like, if they're dead, it's from the car accident, not from him shooting them. I think that's fair, and I think you can kind of include that too if you want. The other thing is later on in the news reports they will be referred to as teenagers and the one guy will actually call them children because i guess they're supposed to be under 18 yeah they do not look under 18 to me i didn't think that's kind of crazy certainly makes it worse for superboy though i also thought it was weird i've only been to new york city a few times in my life but i could not really picture a scenario even at like two in the morning or whatever it's supposed to be where there's no traffic around Agreed. at all. I would say highly unlikely. It's completely empty the on George this George Washington Bridge is empty. But okay, whatever. I get it. And the reason why it's not later, because obviously strip clubs are probably open till four, like bars sure. in New York City, yeah. is because he turns on the radio and they're still doing like the West Coast feed of one of the, it's either the Mets or the Yankees game. Uh-huh. So it can't be any later than 2, and then later they do say it's 2 a.m. when the one guy gives his statement. Right. They reference that later. Seems like there'd still be some active nightlife going on in vehicles. Donlin, Rooker, and Kraske arrive on the scene and try to take control of the situation. The poor decisions start immediately. Despite Superboy begging them not to do it, they attempt to plant a gun in the car of the deceased. Caught. to get caught by a paramedic played by Paul Calderon. Yeah, in an explosive performance. <laughs> yeah, he is making a meal out of this. Yeah. <laughs> There's a part where he's waiting to be questioned later, and he's smoking the fuck out of a cigarette yeah. in such an over-the-top way. <laughs> Love it. This he's is like, the look, type of movie for that, I'm though. in two scenes yeah. with this cast. I'm going to just bring it. That's right. <laughs> Immediately, the other guys are like, look, you better not bring up the fact that they're black because he saved these black babies, and they're trying to spin this hero narrative around Superboy because they're already into this defense mode. Right, cover up. It was a horrible mistake because they didn't have a gun, but their first instinct is to make it so much worse by trying to plant a gun, which gets blown up in their face. Paul Calderon takes it and throws it off the bridge. Yeah. Next thing you know, him and fucking Rucker are fighting. Right. (laughs) But what it comes down to, especially now that Donlin's involved, is self-preservation more than anything else. Because their first instinct also is to worry about Garrison. That's right. We don't really know why yet, but then the past will eventually be dragged Uh to light. Where there was another incident where they thought someone might testify against Donlin and what's going on over there. You 
fucked up and you're wasting a pair of shit bags who aren't worth the hair and the crack of your ass, so you cool it with the patty cake morality. Because without me, kid, those stiffs will put you in a room where you will fuck your uncle and everything he's built. Hey, Lee. Black Van's gonna be here in a minute and I haven't done shit. And what I'm doing is highly sympathetic. Yeah, damn right. It is. Ray, we don't have to do this. Calm down. Fuck, Ray! That wasn't in there. What do you mean it wasn't in there? It's underneath the floor mat. Bullshit, man. You can't do that. Shut the fuck up. Do what? It was underneath the fucking floor mat. Fuck you! Hey! Fuck you! I told you not to do it like this, Ray! I told you! What the fuck's going on? It's underneath the fucking floor Hey, get that back! Take my fucking shield away from me. Hey, put it down! Jack, shoot me! Put it down, Chico! Chico, this motherfucker! What? Frankie, what? get me started on What the fuck you gonna do? Kiss my ass. Don't go over there! Don't go over there! Don't go over there! fight between Rucker and the paramedic provides enough distraction for a desperate Donlin to convince Superboy to fake his suicide before shuttling him off to Garrison. Although we don't know. Oh! He jumped! <laughs> yeah. Whoa! Someone should have been like, the George Washington Bridge, it's the Brooklyn Bridge you throw yourself off of. <laughs> when the police are giving their statements to IA, it's a wall of silence. They all are going with the story that he jumped off the bridge, even uh-huh. though it, it seems pretty obvious right away that no one actually believes it, even yeah. the people who weren't included in the plan. Because how many people even knew about the plan that night? That I don't know, like two a or three? Horrible job securing the scene by all these people that the main suspect person involved is just in a moment of seclusion where no one has eyes on him. Well, I know that obviously we've got the main crew here, but there's a bunch of other people on the scene here. Right. But I think that Donlin probably has like seniority. Yeah. So at first he's talking to him and then he like walks away when that fight breaks out and then everyone's looking at the fight. (laughs) He jumped. He jumped. Oh, I can't believe it. (laughs) Another thing going on in Garrison is there's a lot of speeding. Definitely. And... They eventually pull over Rucker and Donlin. It's Freddie and his deputy, Cindy Betts, played by Janine Garofalo, of all people. That's right. Because they don't recognize his car, because if Freddie recognized Donlin's car, they would have never pulled him over in the first place. Rucker's, like, such an asshole. She's like, are you guys on the job? He's like, no, honey, we're coming from Forest Hills. (laughs) I'm John McEnroe's Jimmy Connors. (laughs) 
It's like such an asshole. And then as they're driving away from this scene where they're not going to get a ticket, fucking Superboy pops his head up in the backseat and Freddy just sees him. I know. What the fuck is wrong with Superboy? Really? Like, can't play it cool at all. I get that he doesn't really want to be doing this. He feels that maybe he should have done things the right way after the incident, which is tell his side of the story, which yeah. is he thought they were firing a gun at him and then it would just turn into this horrible thing. But now they've gone way down this path. But right. still, it's like once you're in the path, don't fucking poke your head up. Now Freddy knows he's alive, which does implicate Freddy later on because he acts like he's a part of this uh-huh. conspiracy for a long time. Well, he thinks he's in the crew to some degree. There's some similarities between Freddy and Victor from Heavy. Yeah. I'd say so. A little bit. <laughs> Annabelle Ciora plays Liz Randone, the grown-up version of the girl that Freddy saved once upon a time. So he's basically saved her life and, in a sense, sacrificed a big part of his own life for her. Yeah. Now, obviously... That would be beyond her control. It was a bad accident that he ends up going deaf. We see it in a flashback. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Shocking someone survives that car crash. You don't know what's going to happen, but it basically prevents him from following his dream of being on the NYPD. But you can tell that he's still carrying a torch for her. The idea is that he, Liz, and Joey all grew up together. Okay. But that's insane because Sylvester Stallone is way older. He seems so much older than both of them. Right. Those two seem like peers and he does not. <laughs> hey, Mo. Hey, Ray. Sorry to hear about your nephew. Yeah, he was a good kid. We were up all night with him. I know you need to talk to me. I'll come in next week sometime. How's that? Jackie here's coming in early for you. Tomorrow. All right, Jackie. Mo Tilden. Yeah, hey. Mo Tilden. Yeah, Frankie Lagoon. What house? Yeah, and it's reset. Been there long? Maybe too long. Come on. Oh, here was my classmate at the academy. Back in the day. Before he fell in love with this redhead at IA and transferred. So how it went, right? <laughs> so what brings you to our fair city? Checking up on us? I heard it was a way of life out here. Thought I'd check it out for myself. What are we, uh, like the Amish now? <laughs> See you around.
I thought you gave me a ticket. Hmm? You the sheriff? I thought you gave me a ticket. One second. Hey, hey, Gordon, that's it. Knock it off. Let him go. Just let him go. Now, everyone, go on down to the park. Come on. Come on before I kick your ass. Go on. Sorry. How long have you been a sheriff? Ten years. That's great. See, there's a lot of city cops here. Oh, yeah. A lot of cops. Great gig. Mm-hmm. I like it. Well, I don't want to waste your time. Let me give you my card. It's a special unit in the city. If you ever want to talk about anything, it's all confidential. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice to meet you. Shortly after the incident with Superboy, and once it's clear that he's not going to get anywhere, Mo Tilden shows up in Garrison, mm-hmm. which seems like a, a direct move. Because at that point, he yeah. hasn't even met Freddy yet. Well, him and Ray definitely have a history. Right. But I'm saying he wants to show up yeah. and be like, motherfucker, I'm on to you. That's right. Because he runs into Donlin and Rucker and one of the other guys just at that coffee shop, I think, next to the Four Aces. Uh-huh. And he really, really takes his time with that coffee. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Does he put that cup of coffee in a bag? Because yeah. he's carrying a bag later. <laughs> like, he only got a cup of coffee. So did he get a cup of coffee and then put it in a bag? I don't know. He's hanging around. He's loitering. I know. He's specifically making a big production of get yeah. preparing the cup of coffee. And then, is that how it went down, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that how it went down, Ray? Kathy Moriarty plays Ray's wife, Rose Donlin. Unbelievable performance. (laughs) I know. I fucking love it. Yeah. I love Kathy Moriarty in this movie so much. I know. She's exactly the right person to play this part. It makes perfect sense. She's the right person to be in this type of movie. She's probably, honestly, like 15 or 20 years younger than Harvey Keitel, which seems crazy, but I think that's probably accurate. Uh-huh. She is definitely younger. I think Keitel was like born in the 30s or something. Wow. By this point, he was already like 60 years old, which Good is Lord. crazy. I saw a picture of him recently. I, I know he was done up in a certain way to look older for this one movie, but I was like, oh my God, what happened? <laughs> Age is a horrible thing. She's a little older. Yep. You can tell that at one point in time, she was definitely a real beauty. Yeah. But she smoked a lot of cigarettes, drank a lot of booze. It's a whole thing. It's a whole Jersey vibe she's going. She sounds a little bit like Marge's sisters from The Simpsons when she talks. (laughs) But there's a whole thing going on that we uncover here because Liz calls Freddy, or Freddy just shows up with the stuffed turtle, whatever. He's over at Liz's house. I know. This is just sad, though, his little drop-ins. And she says, somebody's been dumping garbage next to our garbage, which is such a fucking small town, small city bullshit thing that people get fired up about. And he goes, oh, I'll I'll take care of it. I'll look into it. Because he'll do anything that she asks, obviously. Which is pathetic, because it should be the other way around, because he (laughs) saved her fucking life. Exactly. But anyway, I digress. (laughs) He looks through the garbage. He finds a phone bill that is Ray Donlin's phone bill. So he shows up at the Donlin house. And Rosie is not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I think that she kind of catches Freddy off guard with how like honest she is. Right. <laughs> you tell. Yeah. <laughs> Joey Randone, if he's got a problem with my garbage, he should stop soiling my sheets. <laughs> it's Good like, lord. Yeah. Okay, enough said. <laughs> Freddy's like, all right, away. Rose. Jesus. Yeah. Basically, the idea is that Joey, Peter Berg's character, is stepping out on Liz with Ray Donlan's wife, which seems insane. Uh-huh. That's like, oh, I'm going to fuck Carmelo Soprano or something. Because, look, these guys are gangsters. Right. They are cops, too, which makes them even doubly dangerous. Yeah. It's such an insane move. I don't know. He must really be tired of Liz's shit because I, I can't fathom it why he's doing this. But okay. Yeah, Joey does seem like a wild card. And I don't know what Rosie's motivation is here. I guess she's probably pissed at him about something. She feels maybe like she's being used for sex yeah. and there's not enough else going on. This or does... she's just pissed that yeah. he's still married. I don't know. But she's just it's an immature move she's pulling. And now more people are becoming aware of it. Well, that's the thing. Not unlike the Superboy head pop, this also falls into the category of Freddy is better off not knowing. That's true, although this isn't really as dangerous. No, but it just seems like you don't want anything that's going to piss Ray off. Right, but he wouldn't be the one catching the wrath. Yeah. And I think later we realize that Ray already knew. Yeah, true. This is not anything that even comes out during the movie. Like, he just knew already and was biding his time. Right, waiting for his (laughs) moment to come up. One of the things that was excised from the original version, and you can find it in the deleted scenes, which are on the Blu-ray and also on YouTube, is the inherent racism of the town. It pops up in one scene in the film that they oh, left, yeah. where one of the deputies, the one played by Noah Emmerich, has like pulled over this black couple, and they allude to it a couple times when Rucker or whoever's like, the criminal element doesn't live in this town. It's the people that come to visit or whatever. Uh, That's what they're always talking about. It's basically, I think, in the original version that they shot and then took the scenes out for whatever reason, is much more race-based. There's a scene, I believe, where Noah Emmerich's character is pointing out that all of the speeding tickets that they ever issue are to black people. It's like crazy yikes, or something. But like, not that many black people live in the town. Things like that. But for whatever reason, they took it out. I don't know. Maybe they thought that the whole thing was Superboy. It was already enough or too much. or I don't know. I think they should have left it, though, because it adds more of what the point of even what they're thinking is about creating this town. The Superboy suicide, quote-unquote, and the death of two African-American teenagers has erupted into a firestorm in the city. Yo, yo. Freddy, I heard you saved Dolly the turtle today. What happened to your nose? Uh, nothing. I just had a little accident. Huh? Listen, Joey, there's something we should probably talk about if you've got some time. What? Something we should have a few minutes. Pretty boy Joey, betting against the bulls. What is that? What are you, some kind of high roller? Fuck you, figs. I had 12 points. Against the five-time NBA champs? What kind of bet is that? You know, you night guys, you watch way too much Oprah when you should be catching your Zs. Uh-huh, figs. Well, at least I'm not the one sniffing my money away. That was your inner child making that wager, Joey. Little boy Joey with a little mech poster taped above his bed. Really? Tell you what, figs, why don't you do me a favor? Come on over here, unzip me, pull out my inner child, and take a bite, baby. Bite it hard and bite it thick. Fuck you. Fuck you. Don't fuck like that, PD. How's that make you feel, Freddy? I don't care. 
Yeah. I like eating donuts. Look, Freddy, I say it's okay to be jealous. You saved this girl's life, right? From it, from risking yourself, from saving her sorry ass, you go deaf as a result. In one ear. In one ear. Then you have to watch as this girl you saved, this, this beauty queen, marries this cocksucker. And you with your ear, you can't even get a desk on the force. Right? You're fucked. Be jealous, Freddy. Let it out. I would. Purge. Cleanse yourself. Fucking cleansing. Del. Del, let me have another beer. Gotta go, Freddy. Thanks. School's in session. See you later. Leota and Stallone actually wanted each other's roles initially. Wow. Which does not work in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely. I don't know that Leota would be a convincing Freddy, and I definitely don't think Stallone would be a convincing Figsy no, at all. I can't picture him having that type of charisma. The other people in the mix for Freddy were John Travolta, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, and Gary Sinise. So wow. right off the bat, huh. Travolta and Hanks, no. Just cross them right off. Right. No way. Tom Cruise is weird and interesting, though. And here's why. I'll make a, a brief case. I think Stallone is better, obviously, for this part. But Cruise could work if they played into how short he is, which he never really does in any movie. Yeah, but if like they actually, like... bullied by all these guys. If they really accentuated his height and made that a part of it, I could see it, yeah. maybe. But it wouldn't be as good. Stallone would be better. Gary Sinise would probably be the closest to Stallone, but he doesn't carry the same reputation as an action star, so it's not as interesting. But he would definitely bring like a different energy. I think so. It's the kind of energy that would maybe get him into the Malkovich scene in Jumping John Malkovich. (laughs) Yeah. Gary Sinise, maybe. Freddy wears the sadness on his face, which I think is important in the Stallone performance. The sadness in his eyes. Yeah. He's watching a stolen life, which is something that Figsy at one point is like, be jealous. I know. Fuck. Well, he just carries around that look of, you just worked like a 60-hour week, and you're cracking open a Budweiser, and you're just so tired. That's his vibe all the time. Your wife just left you, and your dog just died. Right. Well, he saves the local beauty queen, and obviously falls in love with her in the aftermath, but at the same time, loses hearing in one ear, which prevents him from joining the force. Liz then marries Joey, who is an obnoxious, adulterous douche, Uh who then also gets to be a cop. Right. I do like that they're kind of playing with the hero dynamic a little bit. Instead of the person who's saved falling for their hero, he's the one that gets attached, and it's just never going to happen. Until it does, kind of. Yeah, kind of. They had to dub in that line when Figsy is busting Joey's balls about the betting. They had to change it from four-time NBA champs to five-time because oh, okay. the Bulls had won wow. again. <laughs> you can kind of tell if you pay super close it. attention. Well, if you didn't know, yeah. you might not notice. But right. once you know, you can kind of tell that it, gotcha. it's a little off. You see Dolores floating around in the background at the four aces, just not saying anything ever. <laughs> it's very strange that Debbie Harry's just there, but not a part of it. And we're just very much in a Debbie Harry era of the show right now. I know. Even when we did Heavy, I didn't remember yeah. the whole thing about her being in Copland. Although I did know from 
going down the IMDb Wikipedia rabbit holes in the past that I knew about it, but I, I had completely forgotten about it and definitely did not realize the character name was the same. Right. Figsy is a loose cannon at this point. He at looks, this point. He's always coked out. Yeah. No, I just mean at this point where we pick up the movie. Right. The whole time in the yeah. movie. He, I love his look. He always is wearing those like short sleeve button downs, not tucked in. It seems like kind <laughs> of a, a size too big. His hair looks insane. His hair is wild. His eyes yeah. are wild. He looks like he hasn't slept well. And it's great. It's an incredible performance in the movie. This is one of Leota's best roles. Agreed. And once you find out the reason why, it all clicks and makes sense. And it's, it's just great character work that he's been on this fucking spiral since the incident with yes. his former partner and his life is a mess now because he's been living with all this guilt and anger. But it is a little bit unclear to me where exactly he's fitting in with the crew now. He's kind of on the outs, but kind of still in. It seems like it's been a two year downward spiral that yeah. is now culminating and they want to kick him out because of the heightened risk with and the, the Superboy situation. Yeah. I think if the Superboy thing hadn't happened it may not have happened yet where right. they were going to cut him loose, but there's just too much going on, too yeah. many eyes. It's a very incestuous soap opera world in Garrison, New Jersey, and it all connects back to Ray Donlin, the architect of this corrupt policeman's dream town. On the top, you have your regular small town infidelities and rumors and gossip, but beneath the surface lies a much darker truth. Figsy is at the center of it. Here's what we can piece together. Figsy was partners with a cop named Tunney. Years earlier, Tunney got himself busted. Didn't seem like Tunney was maybe the greatest guy. That's what's so weird about this movie is that even the people that are portrayed as heroic did fucked up things. Nobody is completely innocent. Even Freddie, to a certain extent, he's drunk driving. Nobody is as white as the driven snow when it comes to their souls. No, A lot of black souls in this. Yeah. And Figsy, who becomes heroic by the end of the movie, is a fucking murderer, basically. The darkest background. (laughs) So in order to save his own ass, as Tunney was going to be busted for fucking choking a a suspect to death, he was prepared to divulge information into a much larger case being built against police corruption, presumably against Don Lynn and his cronies and garrison. Tunney is then found dead in his jail cell. So... Obviously, this is no different from the mafia. This is organized crime. Right. Now, Figsy still remains. He himself alludes to playing a part in Tunney's demise, even if it was just bringing it to the attention of Donlin. I don't know. We never get the specifics. I know. He's not the one that actually killed Tunney. Right. Because that's some fucking r- ludicrous <laughs> reveal later. Guy I know this guy. Album. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay kind of looks like a skinny version of andy richter (laughs) whoever that guy is right but whatever but yeah he definitely alludes to the fact that he basically was a key player in getting this done in the years since he's gone down a spiral of guilt and drugs alienating himself from the garrison gang even further his erratic behavior makes him a liability a missing six grams of cocaine from an evidence locker provide Donlin Rucker and the rest with enough of a reason to kick Figsy out of the inner circle. Don't shut me out, Ray. This leads to a tremendous scene in the back yes. of the four aces. 
Figsy, you've been a cop 12 years. Six grams missing, it's not a white sauce violation, babe. Come on. You bought that big old house, maybe you're trying to get out from under. Hey, Jack. What the fuck's up your ass? Are you gonna tell me you're getting by without gravy, any of you? Listen to me, I was putting out raised fires when you were still sucking on your mama's titty, so just back the fuck off, all right? So what, what do you want, you want to toss me? What, you, you, you can't? Sit down, Gary. No, well, tell me what's going on, this is bullshit. Even better, why don't you get the fuck out? Fuck you! You fucking child, just back the fuck off. Yeah, well, at least I'm not Shaq with no reeking whore. You're supposed to fuck him, Gary, not open up a methadone clinic. Hey, 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 no, you huh? fucking humanitarian! Come here. Ah. You think you're so fucking bad? Oh, God! Come on. Come here, you see this? Look at Tony! You see him? That was my fucking partner. That was a cop! Enough! Let go of him, Figsy. Go home. You all right, Jack? Let me look at you. Don't shut me out, Ray. You found us a sweet little town, you got us the low interest, and I'm grateful. But don't forget who it was that you came to two years ago to cover your ass. Get him out of here, Freddy! It's not my fault that you can't look at him! You sit in this chair with your back to him, you want it to go away, but I'm still here. In for a penny, in for a pound. Don't shut me out, Ray. I'll take care of it, right? Bullshit. There's a ton of stuff in this that there's almost like shadow images in Sopranos that I was just noticing. But th one of them is the picture of Tunny hanging on the wall. Yeah. They do that in Sopranos with Christopher. Right. Like his picture's like hanging in Satrial. Right. Know, Even though the people, well, I guess a lot of people don't know. It's only really Tony. Who knows? Yeah, true. Who, what happened, but... I don't know. There was just, That was just one of them, but there's several, and I just had to comment on it. It's funny. I think Leota was really only, like, seven years older than Robert Patrick, but he keeps calling him a child. <laughs> <laughs> I was putting out Ray's fires when you were sucking on your mama's titties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just fucking completely shows him up. Well, he makes that like... comment about his girlfriend, who I guess is Puerto Rican and also a drug addict maybe or something and he he punches rucker in the face and then he yeah they start fighting and rucker goes for his gun but he pushes him up against the wall and he takes that dart, dart and puts and it in his nose. nose as if he's gonna like rip out his nostril or whatever give him a nose piercing yikes i guess it was actually a rubber dart in real yeah. life in the aftermath of the donlin figsy confrontation freddie arrives at liz and joey's house mid domestic scene She's hit him with a bottle and locked him outside. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they've been fighting over what's been going on with Rosie. Joey's just worried about Ray finding out what's been going on, too, because he keeps asking Freddie if Ray knows. Freddie's like, I didn't want to know any of this. Yeah, really. What, why am I involved? <laughs> I also like how Freddie showing up basically gets Joey what he wanted, which is get back in the house. Yeah, he just kicks open his own door yeah. and then storms up the stairs. 
<laughs> you want me to take you to the Ramada? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no thanks, Freddie. I love that the Ramada is on the table for Liz, but then later for Figsy, it's like, you have to sleep in the holding cell until I feel bad and let you sleep in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> the Ramada is not on the table. Right. <laughs> I was telling you before we started recording that during a weird time in my life, I, I actually used to post on a Bruce Springsteen message board. I oh, know. Something you're not ashamed to say here. I know. I'm revealing right. a lot of myself on the pod lately. Yeah. But it was a time where I was just very into Springsteen, which is weird because I, I rarely listen to Springsteen now. I mean, I still like him and everything, but it was just a time where it was right. like nonstop. You were one of those people. I started a thread one time <laughs> on the board. It was basically talking about Copland. So this would have been like 08 or something. And I was like, is the use of Drive All Night and Stolen Car the best use of Springsteen in film? Uh-huh. And I still kind of think it is. Zero replies. <laughs> there were replies. Yeah. I don't remember what they were. <laughs> yeah, I know. Particularly that first scene, I think, really hits. Even though the second scene is more powerful, but I just love the sound and how it fits with the vibe of the movie. Yeah, two deeper cuts from the River album. Both songs really fit the Freddy character and the story and everything that's going on. We'll talk a little bit more about yeah. Stolen Car. I mean, the second the scene second is like one. the best scene in the movie. No question. But... <laughs> It's funny because I think on the rewatchables, Simmons was like, that's the scene where you can go to the bathroom. <laughs> wow. How out of touch. I know. I think it's With a great I scene, too. Great. Look, I'm not a huge fan of the flashbacks because now we get the second time, the fuller flashback yeah. where he's saving Liz. I don't think it's really necessary. I don't think it really Agreed. adds anything to the story. But yeah, I think the scene between Liz and Freddie is very poignant and great and contributes a lot. But what do I know? I think it's the whole Freddy character is summarized in that scene. It's a busy fucking night, though. You have a fight at the Four Aces. Then you have a domestic dispute at Liz's house. And then he drifts off to sleep in his own house listening to Springsteen on vinyl. Oh, it is true. Being sheriff in this town is a full-time gig. Now there's a fucking house burning down. It's Figsy's house. I gotta get up. You show up on the scene and his girlfriend, Monica was inside the house and she is all burn up it's yeah rough not to pleasant. look at figsy arrives and she dies right on the lawn eventually freddie will actually invite figsy to stay at his place but for for a little bit there is a, a moment where he's just sleeping in the holding cell and yeah. freddie also eventually assumes that it's ray that did this and that kind of hangs over the audience a little bit too unless you are specifically remembering the opening of the film which yeah which by this point is kind of unlikely the first time you see it just because you've got a lot going on you got superboy you got mo tilden the whole liz thing the flashbacks i mean there's a lot to keep track of this is in the aftermath of the four aces blow up it makes sense to follow the narrative that ray did do this yeah especially because you just learned that they killed a guy in a jail cell yeah because they thought he might testify, essentially, once you start putting the pieces together. Tilden and IA once again show up in Garrison on the day of Superboy's funeral. We buried a suit today. Is that how do you feel about that? We buried a suit today. Right. They're trying to convince Freddy to help them to prosecute Ray. I see cops who lose their way every day, and I don't like that. Because their ambivalence is contagious. They infect those around them. They're like maggots. When you find one, you find a nest. 
and I take that real personally. I went to the same academy as our friend there. Ray? Good man. I stood by him at graduation. He was a beauty. He's been good to me. Yeah, a real collar man. To the cop that he was, to his memory, I'm loyal. But through the fog of my loyalty to the men, the evidence makes me see, and these days what I see, like an island out of my reach. I see this beautiful island shining through this fog, every house financed by one of two mob banks. That's right, Sheriff. What I see is your town. No. No, you don't see that. Yeah, Babbage isn't dead. You know that, and I know that. Ray got him off that bridge alive before he could talk. But he wasn't so lucky the last time when the shit hit the fan with Tunney. That boy he took care of later. But now what? What does Ray do now? That's the $64,000 question. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, Sheriff. Because you're on the inside. And besides the church traffic and the cats in the trees and all that other bullshit, okay? There isn't much here for you to do, to keep your mind busy. But I look at you, Sheriff, and I see a man who's waiting for something to do. And here I am. Here I am saying, Sheriff, I got something for you to do. As Mo puts it, yeah. Something for you to do. I love this scene, too. I need a Mo Tilden to walk into my life and give me a speech like this. Here's your chance. I've just Here's been something. sitting around waiting. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. <laughs> but Freddie remains reluctant. I think the more times you watch the movie, the more times you change your view on Freddie and what's going on with him. How smart is he? How good of a cop is he? What's the deal with these loyalties? I don't even know that it was abundantly clear to me that he idolized Ray so much and that was like a big part of it, even though in retrospect now I think, of course, that's a huge part of it. Right. But, but you just kind of pick up on different little nuances to the story and why he acts yeah, a certain way. They're not really hitting you over the head with it because this guy doesn't say much, so you're always trying to piece together what he's thinking. And since he's the hero of the film ultimately and the protagonist and everything, you're kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. But the truth is... He does know for a fact that Superboy is alive. Yeah. He saw him. So it's not just denial of thinking, oh, these are good guys, you're wrong. He knows that he's alive. Yeah. And beyond that, knows that there's at least some degree of corruption going on. And he buys into the narrative that the police union representative, played by Frank Vincent, is putting yeah. out. That these guys aren't going to get a fair trial, and this is why they have to do this. And I think the whole thing is, with the Freddy character and him being brought up, Ray saw this as an opportunity. He threw an arm around this guy, and Freddy looks up to him. I can put this guy in this position, and he'll kind of keep everything status quo for us. Yeah, but if you pay attention, Ray does patronize him and yeah, condescend to definitely. him. Definitely, He seems to know the right moments to to sort of pretend like he's building Freddy up. and Right. Donlin has sold Superboy on the idea that he can be saved via some kind of secretive witness protection type thing with a new identity. And then comes one of the most insane parts of the film because the very next day after the funeral, they decide to have this big house party 
at Donlin's house, full of cops from the precinct. Everyone knows Superboy is alive, but it's not just cops. There are girls there. Yeah, maybe they live in Garrison or they're related to cops, but the more people who lay eyes on him know that he's alive. Someone will say something. This I know. Is, Absolutely. This insane scene is insane and almost inexcusable. I guess it just sets up for like a an interesting set piece, but you could almost cut it out entirely and still get to where you get to. Yeah. Where Aunt Rosie finds out what they're going to do and then it all happens like late at night. Like you could get to this without the party part right. of it, which is weird. I know it sort of changes things about the Freddy character in maybe a lot of what we just discussed, but I kind of wish that Freddy and Figsy didn't know Superboy was alive until that part where they see him and they try to chase him. Right. Maybe even as an audience, we don't actually know, even though it's like no one was buying that Harvey Keitel sell job on the suicide. Yeah, I just think that's a different type of movie yeah, than what they were true. going for. But I do think that would be interesting and fun, but yeah. I think but that yeah, the vision it, was different. Right, because we need Freddy to know, because he is going along with the whole thing. Yeah. You're making it more that Freddy is like straight up a hero the right. entire time, and he's maybe maybe even a doofus. Like, yeah. He just doesn't know anything. But word comes down from the mayor's office that they're going to eventually need a body in order to permanently halt any kind of investigation. This is also where the movie's a little muddled and weird. Uh-huh. Because on the one hand, the mayor is about to shut down Tilden and IA from investigating Superboy's about disappearance. About to. It seems like it's a done deal from what we see. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. About to as in in the morning. Yeah, yeah. That's about right. to happen. Okay. But- you have Frank Vincent's character on the phone being like, "Well, what are you doing having this party? We're not going to be able to set him up with a new life. We're eventually going to need a body. And this is the only time you see Ray weak because yeah. he doesn't have more power than this union guy who's basically calling the shots. He's whining. He's like, I don't want to do it. It's my wife's sister's kid or whatever. And yeah. <laughs> Frank Vincent, didn't you say he was adopted? Adopted, though, right? <laughs> but they're doing this. At the party. I know. In a bedroom, but Rosie is fucking standing there. Right. Which seems to be the whole reason that they didn't just kill Superboy like they killed Tunny was because the of family Rosie. element. Yeah. And she's fucking standing. It's like, all right, th- everything they do is kind of dumb. Having this party, though, is insane. Yeah. Like I said, I think you can do the exact same thing and get to the exact same point without the party at all. Yeah. Meanwhile, Liz comes to see Freddy at his house, and then they finally have the talk they've been needing to have for years. Uh huh. Hi. Hi. You guys have another fight? Well, we were supposed to have a big talk. Mm. And so I sent Caroline over to my mom's. And, um,. And Joey called and told me that he was stuck and that he made some arrest. I mean, I can't believe him when he tells me anything. Did you want to come inside? I met a little girl and I saw 
You know, you could get this on CD, you know. In stereo. Wouldn't matter to me. You know, it's a funny thing when you owe someone your life. Why is it you never got married, Freddie? All the best girls are taken. It's a beautiful, wonderful scene. Definitely. Pulls she asks, the heartstrings. why didn't you ever get married? All the best girls were taken. I immediately start weeping. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to Freddie like a lot. <laughs> a real vulnerability to Sly here. He plays it great. I would assume that they only kiss. It doesn't seem like they're implying that they have sex. It never is like that at all, right. really. It doesn't feel like it. No. At this point, she's still married. She was supposed to have a talk with Joey, but then he didn't come home, and it seems like their marriage is really on the rocks. Back at the party, Aunt Rosie slips Superboy a drink with a note on the napkin telling him they're planning on killing him. Again, it seems like she could just tell him. Really? It actually seems less safe to have a note. I know. Now there's a trail of evidence. Although... Ray might not be afraid of any man, but he, but he might be like slightly afraid I of her. I certainly am, yeah. I know. This movie's 26 years old in a, and was filmed in a different state, and I got a little nervous when she was on screen. A movie with a bunch of badasses that you don't want to fuck with. She might be number one on the list. She's taken a few yeah. people down. She's got a few murders under her That's belt. Right. There's just too much exposure and fear for Donlin and company now. They have to do something. Although, these idiots. They snapped to it. They cannot execute a plan for the life of them. Well, they didn't know that he was going to have a gun. Well, yeah. I like how there's just guns hanging all over this party because it's a bunch of cops who just takes that gun and puts it in his jeans. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's a busy party when she slips in this note. It seems like they don't make their move until the party is completely cleared out and there's no one around. So there's a lot of time for her to just tell them this, but for some reason she chooses to hand him a napkin with the ink against the glass, right. which would probably smear. Yeah, it's it more just, cinematic. Yeah, it's a weird choice. Donlin, Rucker, and Lagunda attempt to drown Superboy in Donlin's above-ground pool, but because of Rosie's note, Superboy had a gun tucked into his jeans, and he fires shots into the air as his head is underwater and manages to escape just as Randone arrives and sees the whole thing. Here's a question. Why was Randone arriving? I was wondering that myself. Was he going to confront Ray about the Rosie thing, or was he there to see Rosie? I don't know what the fuck is going on Maybe now. he was just really late to the party. <laughs> He's like, where's the party? And there's gunshots but it in is, the back. They play this whole part like Joey is stunned by what's happening. Yeah. You know what I well, mean? he's not one of the 
main guys yeah. that just is going to go with like exactly right. what's happening, which is why they waited until it was just the key guys. Yeah, just to the do thugs. it. There's a couple guys, Lagunda. I can't remember the other guy's name. The one that ends up shooting. Oh yeah, Sly in the shoulder. That guy, that old bastard. Right. There's a few guys that are like the main guys who will fall in line. Yes. And then everyone else is a little bit oblivious to the whole scope of what's uh-huh. going on in this world. Joey's in that camp. Yeah. He's more on the oblivious side, which is why later his wife doesn't believe some of this shit. Yeah. But we'll get there because it's infuriating. <laughs> so Superboy's on the run. Now Randone knows what's going on. Ray has to even admit, you think I'm all that, Joey? Meaning, like, do you think I have that kind of power? Like, yeah. I could just build him a new life? Yeah, you idiot. What were you thinking? In the morning, the investigation into the Superboy situation is officially shut down by the mayor. Go to lunch! Go to lunch! <laughs> Fucking Tilden. <laughs> Having a meltdown, just throwing files on the floor. Yeah. Go to lunch! Go to lunch! But in Garrison, there is now some potential issues with Joey Randone. And they have that little brief confrontation at Four Aces right before everyone goes to work that night. <laughs> the fact that Rucker says, we're not on till 10, we got another hour. I'm thinking, these guys, their lives are exhausting to me. They're going to work at night. They're just hanging out at a bar before. I know. I can't imagine. I know they're corrupt, and they probably drink a few beers before a shift and all this other shit. But Maybe cocaine's in the mix. I don't know. I would say definitely. How does one live this life, though? I just, yeah. That hit me harder than anything in the movie, when they're like, we'll be at work in an hour, and we're just hanging out at this bar. That's nuts. Anyway, there's the shit with Superboy overhanging the situation with Randone, but also he actually flat out asks Ray, is this more personal? Because now he thinks that Ray knows and the whole thing. In the bathroom... At the Four Aces, Freddy confronts Rucker over the fire at Figsy's, and Rucker's like, I didn't have anything to do with it. That would be retribution. And he's like right in Freddy's face, I'm Gandhi. (laughs) (laughs) It's like completely insane. It's completely wild. Speaking of completely insane, you have Figsy giving this whole speech to Freddy about Diagonal. Oh, I know. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, well, it's a lot of sleepless nights for Figsy. Instead of taking cop lessons from a cokehead, maybe you should be looking at that fire, you know? I mean, my girl over Chase says Figs is missing a few payments. Where were you that night, Jack? I had nothing to do with it. That would be retribution. And that'll lead to God Almighty. I'm Gandhi. I'm telling you, the mob built this town for Ray. So they could own a fucking precinct. It's a deep and dark motherfucker. What you feeling right now, Freddy? Friendless, angry, nervous, misunderstood. This is it. This is the life. You're lucky your ear kept you off the force. You know, if I saw Liz, Drowning in the water. If I saw that today, I wouldn't go in. I'd stand there and I'd think about it. And that's the best thing I ever did with my life. So? 
So? So you want to sit around your whole life wishing you were on the force? You want to bring the faggot in? Let him spill. I wouldn't know where to begin. All right. Brother's in deep shit. He's down, he's bleeding, and you gotta get there. But there's lights, right? All over the city, red lights. You go through the red lights. Sure, you fire up the roof, you wail, you go through the red lights, but that's slow. Freddy fighting your way through traffic. The goal is perpetual motion. You move diagonal. You turn the wheel when you hit a red light. But you don't drive down Broadway to get to Broadway. But how does this apply to what you were saying? Inside? It applies, Freddy! It's just as easy to tell a man walking in front of him. Now you butt heads with these friends of ours, you're gonna come at them head on? Okay. They got lives, Freddy. Families. No. You move diagonal. You jag. Figsy seems like full-blown conspiracy guy. He seems nuts now because he starts spilling his guts. But the truth is he actually knows what he's talking about. He's not just some crazy conspiracy guy. Right. He, he just, was in on the ground floor, but now he's soured on it, so he's yeah, telling tales. But just the life that he's been living makes him lack certain credibility. Now he's completely wired. He doesn't seem like somebody you should listen to. The weight of his guilt has doubled, but we don't even know why yet. We don't know the full extent yet right. because it has yet to be fully revealed. But again, Leoto rules in basically every scene now, and it's a shame. His last film is Cocaine Bear, which is in theaters right now, and I saw it last weekend. It is awful. <laughs> it's an awful movie. Sure. And this is coming from someone who likes Snakes on a Plane. Like, I can get behind stupid, this crazy type of shit. Movie. But I was embarrassed at how unfunny it was. Mm. And Leota, you know, whatever. His character is ridiculous. But I guess on the plus side, at least his last project was something that was a theatrical release, yeah. generated some buzz, I think did fairly well box office wise. It wasn't just like some nothing blip. In no a weird way, of. is kind of apropos of his whole career. <laughs> yes, cocaine bear yeah. made a lot of sense. <laughs> While on patrol over in the city, Randone gets himself involved in a fight with Method Man on the roof of a tenement building. It's not yeah. really actually Method Man, as in that's who the character is. It's just somebody played by Method term. Man. He's got one of those wild contact lenses. I have to tell you. This is one of the wildest police altercation scenes that I've ever seen depicted in a movie. You've got like one guy on an is it a, an adjacent roof that has taken one bullet? No, he's been cut up. He says oh, with okay. a knife, which uh, makes it even weirder. Yeah, and then you've got Joey and Method Man just in a full blown like fist fight. Right. I think at the very beginning of seeing Randone, he has his gun out and it gets knocked out yeah, of his hand because gotcha, that's the right. only explanation that makes sense i know because why is he fighting and this Joey's guy kind of getting overtaken in hand-to-hand combat which makes sense yeah. <laughs> i know but i always just think these police officers have a certain amount of training no okay not like that not these guys no not in like hand-to-hand combat mm, okay i thought they knew some moves some do okay but i think that's up to them yeah 
Well, he's getting his ass kicked anyway. Is it, I think. Well, I think Method Man is also supposed to be like much bigger. Than yeah, him, yeah. Too. It goes on for a while. I know where it could end, and then at one point Joey keeps it going by running and jumping on him. That's right. Now I guess you can't just let a guy walk away if he's a suspect of something. But well, if your life is on the line, though. But yeah, it just doesn't seem like a great idea to keep the brawl going. Right. And then he tries to pick up a board and use it as a weapon and just gets his ass tossed over the side. <laughs> it's weird, though, because it has this feeling the way the fight starts off, like he's going over the one edge, and then it ends up being the completely other side of the building into, like, this, I don't know, courtyard? Yeah, it's in the middle of the right. building, or I don't know if it's three sides or all four or whatever. But, yeah, he's holding on to an antenna for dear life. As the backup arrives. I give him credit for how long he does hang on. Donlin has an opportunity to get to him sooner, but intentionally delays rescue, allowing Randone to fall to his death in retaliation for Randone fucking his wife, and also because he saw them trying to kill Superboy and seemed to be bucking against that idea. So it's very opportune. It's it's so opportune, in fact, that... Online, I was seeing people question whether it was a setup by Ray. Okay. But I don't really think it is. I don't think it's supposed to be. But it's a little too perfect. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, this guy that was giving us a problem is conveniently killed right. immediately. <laughs> I know. It is so weird, though, like the way that it all goes down when Ray is just like, oh, he's through here. He, like, shuts the door. <laughs> it's like, pretending to, like. <laughs> yeah pick the lock they're like why don't you just break it down ignoring them <laughs> superboy shows up at freddy's front door looking for help but takes off running again when he sees figsy emerge from the bathroom the way this is framed is actually very hilarious to me because what are you two doing yeah, what's going on here guys because <laughs> they're recording a podcast there's just something very like intimate about the house and then the bathroom is like right there and it's it, coming out in like a robe <laughs> he's like he just took a shower <laughs> are you guys like a couple or <laughs> he takes off running but then turns around is like what's this about what's, yeah, yeah. what's happening here <laughs> because god knows if superboy even heard about figsy's house Oh, like yeah. He might not even know Figsy's house burned down. He's I don't know if he's loop. up on all the news. Right. <laughs> well, they chase down Superboy. They don't catch him. In the morning, Freddy finds cocaine residue on a mirror in the bathroom just as Figsy's outside the bathroom saying that his allergies are really bothering him. <laughs> I was fucking losing I know. it. There's actually a lot of funny lines in this. Yeah. The part where Frank Vincent's like, didn't you say he was adopted? Right. <laughs> and everything with Kathy Moriarty is gold to yep. me. Now there's another cop funeral, this time with a body, as Randone is being buried. Freddy looking over at Liz across the casket. How soon is too soon to make a move here? Can I go for this? It is his moment. Let's just say this. There weren't a lot of people broken up about it. You have all of Ray's people who are like, thank God we got rid of this loose cannon asshole. You have Figsy being like, well... He was betting against the five-time champion Bulls. Yeah. He deserved it. <laughs> and then you have Freddy who's thinking, all right, well, he stole my life. He got to be a cop and bang this woman, so. Yeah. <laughs> like how I, I reduced it to just banging. The marriage part, <laughs> well, that wasn't going so great. <laughs> yeah. Freddy approaches Donlin at the Four Aces to try and work out something regarding Superboy. This is where Donlin explodes on him. Your plan is the plan of a boy. You made yep. it on the back of a matchbook. Right. You haven't looked at all the cards. This is something that's actually different in the director's cut. This scene, 
comes later mm. after Freddy actually has Superboy. Yeah. And then it's longer and it's implied that Donlin knows he's hiding Superboy. And it's basically all before the ending kicks into gear. Okay. It's interesting how they in the theatrical cut move that up. They just cut some of the parts out where he's referencing that he knows he has Superboy. And then they just move it up earlier. Probably because they thought it was a good scene, but then they didn't want right. to reveal too but soon. they already know. Yeah, because it wouldn't make sense or whatever. Yeah. And I think that when he is overcome by Ray's goons, you think he has the element of surprise on his hand, like he's going to be able to get ahead of them. That doesn't last very long, but I think that's what they wanted to keep at play. Freddy, tired of being pushed around by Donlin and everyone else in Garrison, visits Tilden in New York City to offer his help with the investigation, only to learn that the mayor, under pressure from Donlin's allies in the police union, has ordered IA to cease investigating. Excuse me. Mo, I apologize. I'm sorry for rushing in like this, but you were right. They tried to kill him, like you said, but he got away. Now he's running through the woods. He's like a scared animal. He's scared You know what? That motherfucker should be scared. His uncle got this case closed with one phone call. Look, I'm sorry it took so long for me to come around. But you were right. I couldn't see the truth. Like you said, the evidence, you know, my loyalties, they were confused. They never give you any napkins in this place. What am I supposed to use? You want this? What is this? You came to me, to my town, with all these speeches, and you were talking to me about doing the right thing, and I'm doing the right thing. What's going on? What are you doing? That was like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago? What about Babbage? What about him? Fuck him. What about Donlin? Fuck him, too. What about Joey Rendon? He fell off a building. Should we read the papers? Listen, Sheriff, I'm really sorry to have awoken you from your slumber, but it's over. Hands are tied now. You shut me down. No, no, listen to me. You're IA. That's why I came to you. You can do whatever you want. Remember you came to me and said, you want to be a cop? I'm being a listen cop now. I'm here. I'm I offered asking you, you a for chance. some help. I need to do something listen for you. I need to do this for listen myself. Listen to me, you the fuck. I offered you a chance when we could have done something. I offered you a chance to be a cop, and you blew it. You blew it. That cupcake makes a mess. We got a case again. Yeah, not a great interaction with Tilden for uh, our boy Freddy here. You blew it! <laughs> <laughs> I immediately was thinking of Billy Madison. Oh, I know. I actually put down Sandler-esque yeah. from De Niro in this scene. And then yeah. he does that little thing. He's like, my hands are tied. <laughs> what? It's like making little chicken wings. But I think the thing, again, multiple viewings... I think eventually I got it that he is really overplaying it yeah. on purpose because he is actually up. pushing Freddie to do something. Right. Because then he says that cupcake makes a mess and we got a case again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As Freddie leaves, he steals discarded IA files that reveal Donlin's ties to the mob 
and how he used those connections to create a safe haven and garrison while trafficking drugs through the 37th precinct. 37 in a row? I don't know. It feels like Freddy should know a little bit more of this. Like, this shouldn't be a huge surprise to him. Well, it's not everyone in the town. Yeah, that's true. Not literally every it's single house. It's like just house. this main inner circle. Right. It's just a very heavily populated yeah. cop town. It's not like they could have every single house. Sure, sure, yeah. But they've also probably worked hard to keep people that they don't want in the town I'm out. sure. It also seems apparent that they had Figsy's old partner killed in his jail cell when he was potentially going to testify against them. He's looking at a cover of the New York Post. I know this guy. Right. It starts flipping through an old photo album. It's never a guy's name that yeah. we know. He's just some corrections officer that I guess I is fr- friends with. Doesn't seem like the strongest Rucker. plot connective tissue point that I've ever seen. Yeah, conveniently, he got photographed yeah. on the news story. <laughs> it's like, what? He kind of reminds me a little bit of Zed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from Pulp Fiction. And a skinny Andy Richter, like a right. combination. Freddie brings all of this information to his deputies, but Cindy just bails completely, resigning and heading back to her old job. <laughs> I know. In Elmira, New York. Yeah. She is not a huge presence in the film, but it's yeah. interesting because... I think that in the 90s, Janine Garofalo was one of the definitive Gen X comedians. For sure. And a very Gen X vibe, which makes her a little bit younger than a lot of the other people in the film. Although she probably isn't that much younger than some of them. But she just feels of like a different time in a lot of ways. It feels weird seeing her pop up in this straight role during this time period. Yeah, I think she said she took the part just because Mangold was the director. I guess he did have... A reputation. Yeah. The people that saw Heavy. But yeah, this is High Noon vibes now because he can't seemingly get anyone to help him. He's going to be doing this alone. To me, I was thinking, this is a dream job. Garrison, the perfect place for slacker cops on the job. You don't have to do anything. I know. Whenever he's just like, what do you want to do, sit around and eat donuts? I'd be like, hell yes. We could watch TV in my office here. And look, if you got a little bit wind that some corruption was going on, that even better, because then you could be like, look, I don't feel like pulling over fucking speeders. If, if the district here needs a little bit of money, why don't you skim a little off the drug trade here, sure. all right? Yeah. I'm not doing it. Right. No speeders today. <laughs> the cops living in Garrison all know Freddie went to CIA, and they ain't happy about it either. I'm assuming that's why we see Berta briefly as he's going into the building true she okay. probably called and told somebody that's right that now makes sense. i didn't piece that together but yeah otherwise it almost feels odd that you're seeing her again yeah so. there's now we only know that she's a connection to figsy but i guess the assumption is that she knows the whole crew she may even live in garrison and maybe it just isn't in any other scenes that's i don't possible, know yeah rucker alludes to it at the carnival and then lagunda threatens freddie at gunpoint waiting for him in the back seat of Freddy's car after a night with Liz. I like how everyone just is like, yep, he's going to be with Liz now. Yep. Because even later, Figsy's like, oh, were you just with Liz? And he's like, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, her husband just died. <laughs> Could yeah. you just chill like a little bit? By the way, this is the scene when he, for whatever reason, chooses to lay all of this information out to Liz. Right. And she just, like, doesn't buy it? No. And I'd be like, all right, well, next time I'll just let you drown. How about that? You know what? This you don't is have over. my back? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck I've, you. I've waited forever for my moment, but I'm willing to blow it all up now. 
And in the theatrical cut, I believe this is the last time she's in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Right? I think so. In the director's cut, she's outside at the very end for some reason wearing like a very colorful dress. Huh. And you sort of leave off feeling like this is it for them. Might not be, but... It's possible. My takeaway from the theatrical cut was... Well, her husband was cheating and he was a douchebag and they yeah. fought and everything, but it's still sort of a fresh wound. Definitely. I think you got to be a little bit more chill give it a little more time oh he definitely fucks it up yeah he's coming on strong he's been waiting a long fucking time for this freddy's uh not buying these threats that he's getting in the car though at all he doesn't really well i think there was a turning point i think it was actually why they moved that scene up yeah of donlin scene kind of belittling him like that because they wanted there to be more motivation for why freddy doesn't give a fuck anymore because he's like you know what (laughs) i'm deaf in one ear I didn't get to live my dream job. I'm doing this. I thought it was a pretty good gig, but you guys fucked me over, kept me in the dark, embarrassed me, made me look like a clown. Yep. And now you're going to give me this shit? Get the fuck out of my car. (laughs) Not sure who to trust anymore. Freddy starts examining the scene of the fire at Figsy's house, realizing it had to be arson. We went over every inch of that house. But it wasn't Donlin. Figsy realizes what's up, and he shows up at the house, too, and he admits that he started the fire to commit insurance fraud so that he could leave Garrison and start over, but he didn't think his girlfriend was going to be home at the time. Rough. The two men argue. Another great scene. Another great, fantastic line. Being right isn't a bulletproof vest, Freddy. Yeah. (laughs) Just an unbelievably great line. I know. Like, don't be so naive to think, that it's just because you're right that you're going to come out on top now. Right. I love how they just kind of move past the manslaughter and the arson and the insurance fraud, and they're back to the Superboy thing. Freddy is very quickly accepting of this. You would think he'd be a little bit more mad at Figsy, especially because he was sort of called out earlier. I can't remember what Jeannie Garofalo's character name is, but she's basically like, open your eyes, Figsy set the fire. Well, she was like, he's the only one that got money. Yeah. I don't even think she thinks that Figsy did it. She oh, thinks don't? that okay. no, because she's I the one that says comment... we went over to that house and we didn't find anything. That's true, but the comment just seems like. Well, I think she's just saying. Well, at this yeah. point, he just is trying to pitch the whole conspiracy. Well, they killed Tony. They're gonna kill Superboy. They tried to burn Figsy's house down when he pushed against them, and right. she's like, "The only one who got money out of that was Figsy." Yeah. I don't even think she thinks that That's he did true, it, but, but she should. <laughs> yeah. Figsy abandons Freddy and drives away. He's like, fuck it, I'm leaving. He got the $198,000 check for the insurance. Time to go. I'm getting out of town, which is what he wanted to do anyway. And I was thinking, it's so crazy, the difference between Heavy and Copland, where Heavy is so silent, and it's much about like expression and nuance and things of that nature, whereas Copland has insanely written uh, scenes with great lines, memorable bits of dialogue that stick in your head. Ray Liotta just being completely bombastic. Yeah. Completely different vibe. Freddie goes to Rose and convinces her to reveal where her nephew is hiding, planning to hand him over to Tilden, and she agrees to reveal this because I guess she believes that Freddie is one of the good guys now and he's not going to kill her nephew. Turns out... Superboy was in the Garrison Water Tower, which evidently is empty for some reason. I don't really know what the point of it is. I know on the skyline, that was a CGI, early days CGI water tower. Okay. Because wherever they were filming didn't have a big water tower that said Garrison on it. (laughs) 
Figsy has a pang of conscience on his way out of town. Yeah. Just driving. Shut the fuck up, will ya? And then he slams on the brakes <laughs> as if he can do a U-turn. There's a huge median on the highway. You got to keep going to an exit. You're still going to have to take the exit and do that thing where you drive like five miles out of your way to get back heading the other direction. Freddy keeps Superboy in a holding cell overnight. In the morning, after sending his last deputy away for his own protection, Freddy walks Superboy out to his car in the light of morning, but is ambushed by Rucker and Lagunda. Rucker fires a gun right next to Freddy's good ear, deafening him completely, and both he and Lagunda abduct Superboy and drive away. Seems particularly cruel to do that. I would say, Because Lagunda's like, don't worry, Freddy, he ain't gonna kill you. And then he does that move. It's like, well, thanks. I know. They want to teach him a lesson, I guess? I don't know. I don't know. It it is an awful thing to do. Obviously, these guys are not great dudes, but it's just like, (laughs) sometimes dead is better, okay? Well... (laughs) But if you pay attention to the end of the movie, they no, say he's I know recover. it ends up being okay. Which I actually feel like it's a heavier blow if this is not something that he's going to be able to recover from. We- I think if you did that like multiple times, you probably have like permanent damage. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't think like one time right. it would be yeah. permanent. Agreed. Discombobulated, Freddy pursues to Donlin's house. This is sort of strange because they abduct Superboy, which means they all knew that Superboy was in the holding cell and they were just waiting for yeah. the right time. I just think it's hilarious that when he's coming out, because it is kind of this slow build, and then it's like immediately when they're outside the station, he's just ambushed and loses. And then they drive Superboy. him to Ray's house, but then don't kill him right away because for whatever reason, Freddy pursues on foot. I know. Bizarre. Which seems like it would take a while. It doesn't. It seem like it's that close. Seems like it's mostly slightly uphill, too. He's bleeding out of his ear, holding a shotgun, and looks like a wild man. People Just on the porches are like, what out the fuck is going on? <laughs> He's walking wounded into the final showdown, and it's really cool and unique how they do this, where they put the audience into Freddy's perspective, but like an auditory perspective, uh-huh. because they put everything in silence, and then there's like those loud right. ringing sounds imitating what it would be like in his head. Yeah. And then it's also slow motion, too, a uh-huh. lot of it. In the ensuing shootout in Donlin's driveway, Freddy manages to kill Lagunda and Rucker before Kraski wounds him in the shoulder, and then, then Figsy suddenly arrives. That's right. Cigarette dangling yeah. out of his mouth. <laughs> the best hero show up ever. He guns Kraski down, Figsy, saving Freddy. Donlin appears at the window with a gun ready to fire at Freddy, and then Figsy shoots him, chasing him away, doesn't hit him. Freddy pursues inside, finding Rosie in bed and Superboy trying to escape through the window. Another scene, just like Figsy coming out of the bathroom, where you're like, this looks weirder than it is, I well, guess. Well, it almost it feels like he's fleeing like a sexual escapade. Yeah, it feels like Shaggy, it wasn't right. me. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> Were you sleeping with your aunt? <laughs> It wasn't me. Well, he's adopted. (laughs) It's more just the way they have Rosie in bed, like, clutching the dog. But at first, you don't know it's a dog. It looks like it might be just, like, she's covering herself because she's nude or something. It's a weird setup for the scene, but okay. It seems like maybe he's just running through that room. Like, maybe Superboy wasn't in that room. We don't know what was going on. Why was it taking them so long? in the afternoon. Well, no, I guess it is morning, right? But it's just bright, sunny. 
Yeah. It feels like it's the middle of the day. Well, she seems like someone that spends yeah. a lot of hours in right. bed. <laughs> Donlin tries to shoot Freddy in the back before Figsy distracts him by firing a shot from down the stairs up at him, resulting in Freddy turning around and fatally shooting Donlin in the chest. The whole thing feels like Freddy's underwater or something. Uh-huh. It's slow motion. The sound's gone. Donlin's even saying something as he's dying, and Freddy just says, I can't hear you, Ray. <laughs> Heroic Figsy, who also still accidentally murdered his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I guess we're just going to... Gets the hero's finish, though. Sweep that under the rug. Well, he's just going to have a jaded past. I actually do think that that's where they leave it, where they're like, well, we're just going to sweep that part under the rug. Right. Freddy and Figsy drive Superboy into the city and hand deliver him to Tilden. This is kind of a cool scene, the way they do this. Yeah, are the cops like trying to stop them? I don't really know what they're doing. I think like, everybody's just around. confused. Figsy turns state's evidence, resulting in sweeping arrests and indictments across the Union, although it seems like they killed a lot of the main people. Yeah, that's true. The mob and the 37th Precinct, so a lot of people were taken down by this. Even... Uncle Polly, who plays the gangster, and you don't really see him That's right. that much other than in a couple like pictures, and I think there might be one scene where he's sort of in the there or something. Yep. What do they call him, like Toy Torilla or something? Yeah, yeah. Freddy, after un- undergoing some treatment, is able to regain hearing in his good ear and then returns to his old job in Garrison. But you would think he would be a dead man for sure because... It seems like this is going to be a pretty big ordeal and involve a lot of people. Right. So somebody's probably not getting arrested that might be able to take him out. If you pay super close attention to De Niro in that final scene when he comes out, his mustache is changing length several times. It's because huh. they had to do some reshoots and he couldn't shave back down to the other sides because he was doing Jackie Brown. Okay. So he's got a little bit of that Lewis mustache. Oh, wow. Did not notice. Well, it's weird because they did some reshoots for the movie... But the part where he's in his office where that other guy comes and gets him, it's short. Yeah. And then at the very end, it's short again. But then there's a middle part where he says some lines, and his mustache is, like, way longer. Okay. (laughs) More unnecessary narration in the theatrical cut. Like I said, I'm not 100% sure it's in the director's cut. And as I said, Stallone kind of regretted the movie because it didn't really revive his career, and it, it, it didn't help at the box office and all that stuff. But he did call Mangold the best director he ever worked with. I definitely always think of this in the overlooked gem category. Yeah, I think so for sure. I don't know when the last time he's given a quote about Copland yeah, was. Yeah. Though. It could still be like 10 sure. years ago, so maybe things have changed. I would think this is one of those ones that you look back in retrospective and it's one of the works you're proud of, regardless of how it performed. I love that it's like $62 million on a $15 million budget is like a disaster. Jeez. Not a disaster, but just yeah. not. Not Stallone money. Not at the time. Yeah. Now he would probably kill for this yeah. kind of box office. And if he could even get a lead in a theatrical film. Right. We say it all the time, but it remains true. These are the types of films that they just don't make anymore. Definitely. There's really nothing like it in the theaters, that's for sure. Not R-rated movies that are primarily aimed at adults only. And right. That whole thing. Yeah, it's a shame. But yeah, if you haven't seen it, check it out on HBO Max. As I said, the plot is a little wonky. You can't really figure out what they're trying to do with Superboy, what they think is going to happen, why do they have a party. They're very cavalier, but I I think you can kind of explain it away. I think so. I was saying they're just 
used to getting away with everything, and they think they have some miscalculations here. that they're going to be able to just shuttle him away to right. a new life, and then it's a house of cards. It all starts crumbling, and I think we're seeing their history come to new heights in this movie, and you may not realize that at first. Like this is the first time they've actually dealt with something that has this much publicity around it. Yeah, that might be why they decided to make Superboy Superboy rather yeah. than just Murray Babbage. Right. Because that would get more media attention yeah. if he's a guy who had already gotten headlines. I have to say, and we hit on it, I mean, I know a lot of people will point to Goodfellas for Ray Liotta, but this is definitely the, the Ray Liotta performance for me. From the first time I saw the second half of it on TV, I was like, holy shit, he is like <laughs> cranked up to a million. Yeah, he's like a cross between Henry Hill and his character in The Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Folks, I think that'll do it for Copland Discush. Let's get into recommendations. And instead of a traditional recommendation segment, I guess we'll just, just talk about our trip out to the theater to see Scream 6. Always big news now when we make it to the theater. Ghostface takes Manhattan, uh-huh. I guess you would say. Oh, yeah. Did they actually film all of this in New York City? I don't know. It didn't really feel like it was New York all the time. There's a memorable subway part. The beginning felt very New York, Uh the opening. But a lot of it, it could have been anywhere. Yeah. Sort of like when they did Scream 3 in Hollywood, and you're like, well, this just feels like down the road from where you were doing the other movies. Before we get to the complaints, one thing I really want to give it credit for is there's definitely like a certain production value to it by the time you get deep in these horror movie franchise it can go pretty horribly wrong in terms of like the quality of product that you're seeing well it's a little different though when you have the kind of gaps that they had yeah you had like like basically what a 10-year gap between three and four and then another decade plus gap to get to five but these guys that did ready or not yes i think there's some talent there Oh, for sure. Yeah, I liked Scream 6. Yeah. I think you did too. Yeah. Now, we're not going to do like an official Scream ranking. but As you go on to put it in order. Well, I would just say yeah. it's it's towards the bottom. It's yeah. not the worst. Scream 3 is still by far the least interesting of all the Scream movies. But it's a mixed bag. I think people like it. I've seen mostly positive yeah. stuff going on, although that number... On Letterboxd, on IMDb, of course, will come down. It right. always starts high and then I know. comes back to it reality. It is weird. On Letterboxd, it's like every movie that comes out is the greatest movie for like the first couple weeks. Yeah, and then it comes back down yeah. to earth. But the beginning is awesome. The story is okay. Uh-huh. It doesn't have quite as much of the over-the-top film reference stuff going on. It's almost like they decided to trade the horror references for their own references to the other Scream movies, which is fine. That was fun. But I wish overall they would just stay committed to the big moments. Having it all be like, oh, well, that basically didn't really happen. Yeah, well, a lot of people survive. Yeah. Just like in Scream 5, but maybe even more so. Right. Especially people that it seems like there's no way they're alive. Yeah, which gets annoying. Yeah. That actually bothers me the most. I think if the... A couple of those ended up staying dead. I would have been 
more into it even that was almost a last minute groan for me right yeah this time around we traded hayden Panettiere's kirby from scream 4 who we loved i loved her a lot more in scream 4 she well, that's was what a little saying. less fun Sorry. this time around i meant under that microscope i'm not saying i hated her now but it wasn't the same she wasn't the same character right we traded her for nev campbell and david arquette i'm not gonna spoil everything but there's different reasons why they're not in the movie yeah sydney is still very much alive in the scream universe she's just not in the movie but i guess that was fine although keeping gail made it kind of awkward in a way it did because then you're really trying to struggle to connect her to the rest of it because now they're in New York City and it's like, okay, now Gail shows up. Okay, whatever. But the ending was not great, but then it also reminded me of how some of the other endings weren't great either. Sure. I actually like Scream 2 a lot now, even though I didn't at the time. Uh It, It is very similar to Scream 2 in a lot of ways. The reveal in Scream 3 is also not great. Right. I think the best reveals, in my opinion, are one and four. Yeah. But, okay, fine. I'm not going to base the entire opinion of the movie just on the ending and the reveals and all that stuff. But, yeah, there were some cool set pieces. I liked the stuff on the subway. I liked the opening with Samara Weaving, which was really cool. Definitely, the opening was awesome. Yeah. And they throw you a curveball, like, right away. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah. The uh, opening is really cool and interesting and different and a fun riff on what you come to expect from Scream. So, yeah, I would say overall a positive mixed bag. Yeah. I think I liked Scream 5 a little bit more, even though it addressed some of the problems I had with 5, which was the cheapness. Uh-huh. Because what you were saying, the production value of 6 is much better than 5, yeah, which right. feels like it's a mix between a Scream movie and an indie movie, like uh-huh. a really cheap shot on an iPhone type indie movie. Right. Not like a, a cool... Yeah. 1995 no, indie movie this like felt like a much bigger production yeah so clearly the film ends in a way where it seems obvious that this is somehow going to keep being a thing they keep having to come up with some crazy reason why it's keep it keeps happening because unlike friday the 13th or halloween or nightmare on elm street there isn't just one guy uh-huh which they may even mention in this movie because it's of course it's something that people like us would say all the time yeah, it's like yeah. you have to come up with some reason but But, i liked it yeah me too it was a little on the long side i think it's like two hours long which all the street movies are you're a little worn down by the time they get to the reveal of who the killer is and it is in several of these installments it's like the characters in the world of the movie are like really (laughs) (laughs) like when the reveal happens well yeah (laughs) this feels like a stretch guys (laughs) It's the clown. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they definitely do some red herrings and they address even like fan theories. I don't even want to say which fan theories they address because, you know, I want to leave it open to like the possibility of things happening for people who haven't seen it. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh That's where I would say it's it's pretty good. If you if you're a fan of the franchise, you'll probably will like it. If you're not into Scream at all, then there's no way you would like it. So sure. There you have it. Before we sign off, I guess it's time for m- 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 mail. Oh. Little mailbag. Mailbag time. Like I said earlier, I really underestimated how popular the email address was going to be. Always fun to have a new segment. 
Now we have multiple emails to read, although we're just going to do one right now. All we'll right. Uh, wait and see how things go in the future. I don't know if this is going to be an every episode segment, but who knows? As long as the emails are mostly praising me, then I will be all for reading them. I actually would encourage maybe some writers of emails to write in with trashing Matt. I also yeah, might please. read that. That would be fun. I would enjoy that. <laughs> Matt stinks. Yeah. <laughs> This email is from Michael, subject line, Ass Clown. Oh, wow. Love it. I'm going to have to pick and choose what to read because some of this I gets wondering, into I mean, personal details. We don't really throw around the term Ass Clown as much as we used to. And I was thinking that recently. I was writing someone's personalized note with a sticker I was sending out. And I was like, if I say Ass Clown, does everybody still recognize that? Yeah. Okay. I don't yes. know. We're getting new listeners all the time, and I don't think we mention it as much. Gentlemen, I've always wanted to try you. I think that's a Roadhouse <laughs> reference. Yeah, love it. Glad I can contact you now, non-Twitter user here, and let you guys know how much I enjoy the podcast. I think I came across it searching Halloween 3, but I might be love wrong. It. Oh, you're our people. Definitely listen to that one early, if not first. I mention it in the review I did back then. It's the one I said the adrenaline scene in Pulp Fiction was from American Boy. And was quickly on board. You guys make me laugh. Your research and facts that come up definitely have taught me things I wasn't aware of. And the variety of movies shows covered is great. It's the show I look forward to the most, along with Gilbert. But alas, I'm assuming he's talking about Gilbert Gottfried. I think it might be time to get over that podcast. Mm. Don't think there's going to be any new apps. No. I actually listened to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast a few times, too. Some highlights for me are... All of Roadhouse, the comedy at the end of the Drive episode. That's really a deep cut. Wow. Reading those Anon letters. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit, yeah. The hotness of Alexandra Daddario. Okay. And he quotes us saying, Twitter is our Vietnam, which is something I guess we said at one point. I responded to this email saying that Alexandra Daddario's recent marriage is my new Vietnam. (laughs) He also would love a sticker. He also discusses some listener request stuff with us, so... Folks, get in on the listener request when you get a chance. Yeah. He closes his email saying, I've turned a few friends onto the show, but I'm in Alaska now, and I don't know anyone here, really. We'll turn some friends on there. One show you said when one moves in your 50s, you're not going to be breaking into a lot of new social circles. It's true. I wonder what episode that was. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, Too keep up the good work. Love the show. The jokes are hilarious. Matt's laugh makes me laugh pretty much every time. How about that? Yeah, try being his roommate. Though, yeah. For Just a few years. Unbearable. Just grinding. If you wonder who is listening to our Outsiders episode at 5.30 a.m., it's probably me. Well, I can tell you I've never thought that. <laughs> <laughs> we can't tell when you're listening to the different episodes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much to Michael. Definitely. These emails have been great. A lot of fun connecting with new people. We didn't really realize that there was a whole It's like we section. found a whole other part of the fan base. Yeah, a whole section of the ACC, the Ass Clown community, That's right. that is not on Twitter. Good for I was them, sort yeah. of wondering why we weren't getting more Twitter followers. Maybe it's just because our, a lot of our listeners aren't on Twitter. Not that there's really a lot to follow. I mean, please follow us on Twitter at Creative Pod, <laughs> but I, it's not like I'm tweeting all the time. I don't even tweet links to all the episodes. Yeah. Anyway... Thanks so much for the email. If you would like your email read on the air, not that I'm even asking your opinion on that matter. If you send one to us, that's the risk you take. It might get read. 
I please do, email yeah. us at greatestpod at gmail.com. And keep it coming on the what topic you found us on. That's yeah, like that's my very favorite. interesting. Yeah. As I've pointed out to Matt over the years, it's always the random ones that bring in the new fans. Definitely. And then they obviously will check out the popular episodes too. But if you're searching Jaws on Apple Podcasts, I'm sure there's yeah 10,000 podcasts. But if you're searching The Hot Spot, Cemetery Man, Eddie and the Cruisers, oh yeah, Halloween <laughs> 3, these are our people. Right. <laughs> anyway... Thanks so much for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, as I mentioned, at GreatestPod. Email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That's something that I don't want to get left out in all of this email and listener request stuff. Please, rating and review. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you found us, please make sure you're subscribed. And you can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. Next up, our very first paid listener request. Oh, historical moment. So we'll see if we can live up to that. We have a whole run of them coming over the next couple of months, so hold on to your butts. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. I met a little girl, and I said,
please sleep with me? Please. Pretty please. I'm so lonely. I haven't slept with anyone in a very long time, and you are so good looking. Please do me the favor of having sex with me. Okay, stay three steps behind and promise you won't tell anybody. I promise. I promise. <laughs>